0: Welcome to the Let's Play Music podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Solberg, creator and founder of the Let's Play Music curriculum. We're glad you're tuning in. Today in our studio, we have with us Topher Keen. It's
1: great to be here, Shelley.
0: So glad to have you. Um, Topher Keen is a speaker, author, coach, educator, musician, and mentor working to help the young and the young at heart to build self-confidence and express themselves through vocal music. He really is quite an expert at singing and allowing expression through music. Um, some of his accolades include he was a quarterfinalist in the Grammy Music Educator of the Year, and that was for 2018, I believe. Is that right? Yep. That's amazing. Awesome. He's currently the Artistic Director of the Arizona Girl Choir, and he also was previously the Associate Artistic Director of the Phoenix Boys Choir. Um, he's also the director of several state and local choirs, as well as the former president of the Arizona Kodai Teachers Society, and was um, the outstanding emerging educator from the Organization of American Kodai Educators. So many wonderful distinguishing awards and honors. And currently is running an active private studio of voice students so yes you do have personal access to Topher. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> which is an amazing thing so um Topher, we're super excited to talk to you today about the subject of singing in tune wonderful and you and i have talked a lot about this mm-hmm. before uh, our our career paths intersected about five years ago when mm-hmm. Topher heard a podcast on Let's Play Music.
1: Exactly. And it was then, actually the descending a uh, Deer uh, lyrics that you had created yes! for Let's Play that really <laughs> stuck out to me. I said, this is brilliant. I need to meet this woman.
0: Uh, that was it. The yep, do Re Mi it. that I wrote for, you know, I finish up Rodgers and Hammerstein, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it caught your ear. <laughs> and um, from then, we've just had... Um, multiple opportunities to support one another in our causes. We are both incredibly passionate in what we do, and I feel like Tofer has an exceptional hold on teaching people to sing in tune, mm-hmm. and he really understands how it's done. So tell us, what is singing in tune?
1: So that's a big question, Shelley, and, sure. and you're right to start there, because the definition really uh, determines how, how you're going to approach this. Right. So I'd like to start with a sort of mini uh, talk about anatomy. If we can go into how the voice actually works and how the brain perceives music, then Uh I think it's going to make a lot more sense how I talk about singing in tune. Awesome. So most of us have heard the word vocal cords before, but not all of us know how our body actually produces music. Mm -hmm. So if you just take your hands, whether you're at home or or here with me, Miss Shelley, go ahead and place your hand gently on your throat and swallow. And then just hum a little bit. Mm. Mm. You'll feel that buzz mm. in your throat. You'll feel that little bump sure. that moves around. Mm. That's your Adam's apple, your voice box. If you're, if you're female, your Eve's pomegranate. if you prefer. <laughs> um, so that that is your voice box, your larynx, your vocal cords, your vocal folds. There's a lot of words for it, but that's mm-hmm. where your voice comes from. There's right. a lot of muscles and bones that function in there. You don't need to know all the fancy biology names. But what you need to know is there's a couple of little muscles in there that we call vocal folds mm-hmm. because they're flaps of muscle. They're not really like strings. So I don't like the word vocal cords because mm-hmm. they don't they don't buzz like a guitar string. They, they are flaps of muscle that come together to vibrate to produce your voice. So your voice is really a function of two things. It's pressure in those vocal folds that mm-hmm. holds them together, and it's air pressure from underneath in your lungs. Right. So that's where so many singing teachers and musicians will focus on breath support, on, on singing from the diaphragm, mm-hmm. on all of those, those terms, because the air pressure, the stronger that is, the less pressure there needs to be on the chords to produce the pitch. Right. So when the chords come together, they change top up that air to produce a pitch. And I've got my right. t- trusty tuning fork over here,
0: so. By
1: ah uh, when I sing that note, my vocal folds are flapping about 220 times per second. And when I sing flat, they're a little bit slower. When I sing sharp, they're a little bit faster. Um, What my brain is doing when I hit that tuning fork is I'm hearing a frequency of pitch going 220 times a second. I'm pressing the folds together and increasing my air support until they'll flap exactly 220 times per second. It's
0: really amazing. It's
1: really amazing because (laughs) you don't actually need to know what those numbers are. That's Uh what's amazing Mm -hmm. your brain just does the math without Mm -hmm. it. So Shelly, if I asked you to sing that same note but in your octave, uh, Uh. what you did is you ran a little algorithm inside your brain that said octave and what octave means is double that frequency and then produce a similar pitch Mm -hmm. so instead of 220 ah you produced 440. Uh. exactly and if i wanted to produce the octave below uh, 110, my brain is just doing that math to double up that number. So when we think of the word octave, you know, we as music educators or, or as casual parents who are connected to the music community, we know that an octave is a note with the same note name, so an A natural, sure. and another A natural, mm-hmm. that's an octave, or it might have the same solfege syllable, mm-hmm. Do. Do. Beautiful, and that's two <laughs> octaves. And so it might have the same solvage syllable, and those notes sound the same when they're sung together. So if we both sing together, ah, uh, uh. the notes sound pretty same, si- pretty similar. So your notes higher than mine, but they sound like the same note. Now what's actually happening is your frequency is exactly double mine. So if you looked at that sound wave, it'd be bouncing up twice for every time mine bounces once. Mm-hmm. And if our notes aren't in tune, then they don't line up as perfectly. Mm-hmm. So can you sing that same note? And then I'm gonna sing a different note. Sure. Ah. you can hear that those frequencies conflict a lot more than the beautiful ones that that come together perfectly Mm -hmm. so when we talk about singing in tune what we're doing is we're matching our frequencies exactly so if I find a note that's more comfy for me um, I'm not as comfy with a uh, high A as you are because I'm a male singer so that's a little bit out of my range so I'm going to sing an F which will be comfy for both of us So now our frequencies are exactly the same. They're not displaced by that octave. Right. And so when we sing in tune, they're exactly the same and they line up perfectly, which mm-hmm. means our vocal folds are matching up perfectly every second with the same exact frequency, and not off by even the slightest. If we're off by the slightest, it would sound like this. Ah. It's so close, <laughs> right. but so far away. That's the thing. So when we sing in tune, we're matching that frequency perfectly. We're really doing complex calculus inside mm-hmm. our brain, especially if we're going to then try and sing a whole song where the notes move around. Every note that changes changes that frequency, which changes the tension in the vocal folds, changes the air pressure. There's a lot going on in the body. Right. So I, um, one of the things that actually makes me very secure in my faith is how much I know about music, because it is impossible for us to work this all out. On our own, yes. And it's not possible to me that just evolution could explain why we can sing so beautifully. Because it is not, a
0: miracle. It, well,
1: it's, and it's not really that helpful if you're out in the jungle trying to fight off a tiger or to you know <laughs> gather food for survival. Like, why is singing beautifully and in tune with others something that's going to help with that? It is this beautiful gift that we get that we can produce music with these these vocal folds that were made to to scream in warning from from predators coming after us. Yes. But we can also make this beautiful music together. Yes. And so it's such a complicated thing, but it is something that it, that is not a uh it is not magic it's yes. not something that can't be trained it's it's physical muscles and its response to uh it is response to to biology and to mathematics and to anatomy these are these are things that can be trained so the first thing i really want everyone to know is that everyone can barring a severe mental or physical disability mm-hmm. everyone can learn to sing in tune it's a yes. learnable skill that most of us learn as children yes. but one of the challenges is that in the modern world most children are not exposed to very much music mm-hmm. now, a lot of times they're exposed to music casually as Mm -hmm. consumers. You know, it's around them. It's it's playing on TV and in movies and in the car, on the radio, but it's not interactive. And that's something we've really learned from linguistics, that children... Um, who develop very strong vocabularies and develop high levels of reading uh, fluency mm-hmm. are spoken to a lot and spoken yes. with a lot Correct. and not just around a lot of words. Just listening to to, uh, to CDs or watching movies or watching TV shows is not the same as interacting with an actual human being, right. an actual adult. And that that is true from linguistics, from ado- adopting words and adopting language. Mm-hmm. It's also true for music, mm-hmm. from adopting the ability to engage with music instead of just listening to it passively. Now, now the passive listening is very important too. Yes. It's very foundational to hear a lot of different kinds of music. But the most important thing is that singing with the right. parent. Um, one of the things that I learned from Dr. Edwin Gordon, who's one of the bigger researchers in the yes. field, um, is that one of the only things associated with long-term musical aptitude is the earliest age at which a child repeats a melody,
0: Correct. Can accurately repeat a melody mm-hmm. back to their
1: parent. Now, you've got to imagine, if you're never singing any melodies at your child, they're not going to repeat those melodies very early. Right. And the earlier you do that, the stronger those neurons form. You can definitely learn it as an adult, too. I, I have I have not found, in my experience, any uh, people who could not match pitch who I could not teach to match pitch after several months or years of training. Now, Wonderful. So It's I, great I have, to I,
0: hear, Topher. I
1: have met people who can't sing, who can't sing in tune, who can't sing, who can't match pitch well. I've never met someone like that and said how many years of lessons have you taken? And they say, oh, four or five years of lessons. And I, I just can't get it. You know, these are people who say, well, I, I never took any practical, you know, any, any formal music training because I just didn't think I had the aptitude. Right. So I think that it can be taught. It can be learned. Mm-hmm. You can go very deep into the mathematics mm-hmm. and the biology of it. But at the end of the day, just know that it's, it's not something that's magic. It's not something reserved for those born with a musical gene. But sure. can you learn to sing comfortably and beautifully with your friends and with your, with your children? Certainly, everyone can learn that.
0: That's so great, and really, it's a it's a part of being human. Very much so. being able to sing and being able to sing with children and sing with family, friends, peers. It's um I love that you use the term interactive, mm-hmm. um because music does need to be interactive. Very much so, and and in order to for people to feel comfortable being interactive, mm-hmm. they need to feel like they can sing in tune yes. or match pitch. Yes. So um how how would you say you mm-hmm. recognize singing in tune? So, so I had a
1: student once, um, very, very sweet girl in, in high school, who was super passionate about music. And for those out there listening who are choir directors or whoever run a, a group ensemble, you'll know that um, often, ironically enough, our most passionate and most engaged singers are not the ones gifted with the most natural talent. So true. And so sometimes <laughs> you get a singer who's very passionate, and who works very hard, and sings very loud enthusiastically, but just can't quite get everything in tune. Right. And so this student um, really, really loved to sing and, and was in choir with me regularly and asked about private coaching in order to, to help her improve those skills. And so mm-hmm. I worked with her for several months and, and really struggled. We we were able to sometimes get in tune with the piano, sometimes do some exercise. But a lot of times it was all over the map. The intonation was not strong. It, it took a while. And one lesson, it really clicked for me. We uh, were working on an exercise that, that I can show you um, real quick. So let's just take that same comfortable F that we took, Miss Shelley. All right. And just sing an ah for me. Ah, Beautiful. Beautiful. So I'm going to model. Uh, thank you very much. And I'm going to model the out of tune singer. And what I want you to do is show me with your hand how I need to move my pitch to okay. match with you. Okay. okay. So go ahead and sing that note again. Ah, ah, There we go. So when we find that place where we're together, we we would describe it as maybe a warm feeling, an open feeling, some vibration that matches up. There's less conflict, less less uh, buzz. There's yes. a lot of words you could use. So mm-hmm. I asked my student to describe to me what does it feel like when we're singing that same note, and she goes, "Oh, you mean that kind of like wobbly, like like sort of buzzy feeling when when, wow. the, when the note's coming? Yeah, the, the, those are the words she used. And I said, "Yeah," and she goes, "Well, that that's singing out of tune, right? <laughs> so she she had associated oh, no. singing out of tune with the feeling of singing into. So she was chasing away from that feeling beca- because she had lost the sound of her voice. So again, if we sing that note together, Aww. we lose a little bit of our own voice. So in that very mix. synchronous. Yeah, it's so together that <laughs> you lose a sense of you don't hear your voice as mm-hmm. well. When our voices are off a little bit, mm-hmm. Ah. it's much easier to hear your own voice. I heard you. when it's, Exactly. <laughs> you can hear both voices distinctly. And when we're in choir, we talk about paying careful attention to your voice and hearing your neighbors. And it's much easier to do that when you're not singing perfectly in tune with them. Sure. If you sing perfectly in tune, you almost lose your own voice. Sure. So what I found with that... Which tune, is the
0: goal in choir singing. <laughs> exactly. And
1: they need to know that. It needs to be reinforced mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah. So what I found Hmm. is some students, um, you know, our focus for today is on those students who struggle to sing in tune because of actual uh, intonation problems and ear training. problems. But so the first step I find when I'm working with a a coach who's trying to learn to teach uh, to sing in tune Mm -hmm. or a parent who's struggling with their child who's learning to sing in tune. The first step is to make sure it's not a technical issue because most of the time when they sing out of tune, it's not actually poor intonation and poor ear training. It's a technical issue. So there's, there's three things that I'm seeing there. one, the the first thing um, before, before the, the three technical issues the first thing is to make sure they know what singing in tune feels like and that they don't right. think it means so, singing out of tune so they do need
0: to define <laughs> yeah, it and recognize exactly. it exactly and mm-hmm. so
1: it's we I, I find it's more effective to go to their words the singer's words to describe that feeling so you, sure. you start from a pitch sure. that's comfortable for them and mm-hmm. then you match their pitch because right. that, as long as they can hold a pitch relatively consistently if you ask them to hold a note and they go uh then we need to work on backwards you <laughs> gotta go backwards the simplest step is just hold a note uh Uh, And it may not sound good. That's okay. Then you match that note so that they can see what it feels like when the two notes match. And then you ask them in their own words to describe that. So Shelly, if we sang that same F again. Uh. What do you feel, what words would you use to describe when I'm singing the same note as you? How does uh, it feel in your body?
0: It feels unified. Mm-hmm. It feel, it, I do feel kind of buzzy. Buzzy? I mm-hmm. feel sort of a maybe light, ethereal quality of the matchiness of our mm-hmm. tones and pitches. So all of
1: those words are great words and words that I've heard from other singers before. And there, there's lots of other terms. Matchiness. It, You've matchiness, heard that? yeah. You like w- that?
0: Warm, <laughs>
1: open, wobbly. Yes. I, I've, I've heard I, I heard one kid who said that it felt like a unicorn horn was coming out of great. their head. Oh, that's, I love
0: matching. that. Yeah. You know, you know,
1: there's, the, the, colors that may be described oh it felt shiny it felt, shiny, it felt sparkly mm-hmm. glittery mm-hmm. you know so find the words that work for them and then mm-hmm. use those words and say okay we're looking for that glittery feeling that warm feeling mm-hmm. that unified mm-hmm. feeling like like shelly has um so that once they have that feeling then we want to make sure so what we want to make sure that they know what that feeling is and they're seeking it out then it, the technical issues can come into play because they're trying to hear themselves so the first one that i find is breath support um, if there's okay. not enough breath they can't get to the pitch so mm-hmm. again if you can sing that f for me Ah. If I don't have enough air, I can't get up there. If I take a better breath and support from the diaphragm, ah, it's there. So you teach breath support and make sure the breath is not the issue. Now, a second issue is vowel formation. So can you sing that same ah for me again? Ah. Ah. (laughs) Sounds out of tune. Right, mm-hmm. not out yeah. of tune. I was singing the same note as you, but our vowels were out of tune. Which, if we wanted yes. to go deeper into acoustics, we can talk about how vowels are timbre, which is made up of overtones, and the overtones are out of tune when our vowels are out of tune. Right. So the fundamental pitch that we're singing is not actually out of tune; it's the overtones that are out of tune. But you at home, you don't need to know that. If you want to go deeper into it, there's lots of deep acoustic science. Don't try this you can go at into. home. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. If you want to go into the overtones, though, it's a fun little rabbit hole. But basically, when your vowels don't match, it sounds out of tune, even though you're singing the same note. Yes. So if we can do that again, I'm gonna. modify my vowel to make it in tune without changing my pitch great so go ahead and do that again when I find your vowel, it sounds in tune, even though I didn't have to move the pitch at all. So the last one is registration and that's our chest voice, head voice uh, yes. terminology that many mm-hmm. will be familiar with. Mm-hmm. That comes down to muscular function. So there, there are two muscles inside the, the cords. You don't need to know the names, but they're cricothyroid and thyroarytenoid. You don't need to know that. Uh, but just know that there's two different muscles. And if one muscle is functioning over the other, then you're not going to necessarily get that same beautiful blend in tone. And it may sound out of tune. It may actually be out of tune. The note may be too low because there's stuck in the chest voice and not accessing the head voice. Right. So again, if we sing that same note. Right. Uh, I'm trying to shout up there in a pure chest voice. It won't come out. If I flip into my light floaty head voice, it'll come out more beautifully and now I can get up there. So if Mm -hmm. your singer can't access that light floaty head voice, they need to be taught to do that. That is a biological thing then. It is. Mm -hmm. is. is. It's an anatomical thing and it's not just an out of tune thing. So we Mm -hmm. think, oh, you need to teach them to sing in Mm -hmm. tune. Like, No, you need to teach them to sing in their head voice. Or you need to teach them to sing better vowels. Mm -hmm. Or you need to teach them to sing with better breath support. Mm -hmm. All of those might be the issue and I encourage uh, teachers especially, but also parents who are working with children who struggle to sing in tune, I encourage you to look at those three technical aspects first Mm -hmm. before Immediately diagnosing an intonation problem because it may be an intonation problem, but an intonation problem is months of work, generally at least, if not years, to Mm -hmm. really overcome. It's very difficult to train the ear, and so I'm happy to talk about um, my process for that. But the first step is determine you actually need that because you might not. It's a radical thing. It could be
0: anatomical. Mm -hmm. It could be Mm -hmm. anatomical. It's like knee
1: surgery. You know, Mm -hmm. some people need knee surgery certainly, but some people could just have a little bit of physical therapy, learn to walk a little bit better, do a little bit of exercise, Mm -hmm. and their knee pain would go away. Maybe not jump to surgery as the first solution. Right. And, and systematic intonation, uh, in- in-tune singing training is really a, a large-scale intervention. It, it takes a lot of work if somebody's sure. actually kind of, sure. you know, I don't like the words, but monotone, tone deaf, you know, right. although I don't like those labels. Sometimes
0: they're self-diagnosed. Exactly. <laughs> they come to you saying that and your job is to say, no, you're not. No,
1: you're not. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's a very, very small percentage of the population that is. And there is, there's some research to say that there are some people just biologically, anatomically, some sort of disorder with the the hearing mm-hmm. process or with, with coordination in the vocal folds that there is some sort of tone deafness i've mm-hmm. not encountered that so what, what i've said every time, i've done this i've done this talk you know a thousand times at state and local and national conferences mm-hmm. and every time i say if you have a singer who you think actually cannot sing in tune completely tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Send them to me and I will pay you hundreds of dollars. Please. And every time I, I, people laugh and nobody uh-huh. takes me up on it. I've am happy. i, I've I will, heard I will, you say this yeah, at several I conferences. Happily, on this podcast right now I will happily pay you $200 <laughs> if you can find somebody and put them on a Skype call with me who actually cannot sing in tune and is willing to do some work. You know, you have to work for sure. a few uh-huh. weeks or a few months to prove that you can't learn it. But uh-huh. I, I would love to prove that you can learn it. Because I love I, this. I've, I've had dozens of students who are quote unquote tone deaf and after weeks or months of training they overcome it. And That's so I, awesome. I've seen it with children, I've seen it with teenagers, I've seen it with adults, I've seen it with senior citizens at the end of their life who'd never sung in tune for seven wow, years. Wow, what a gift. And, and still, it, it's a beautiful gift. And it's something that, you know, I, I uh, my philosophy of music education is that most of my students will not be professional musicians. My goal is that every singer that works with me feels comfortable singing Christmas carols with their family right. and singing lullabies to their grandkids. Right. And their age. It's
0: the human interaction That's we were talking human about interaction a And ago. it's
1: vocal health so that mm-hmm. they maintain their instrument mm-hmm. through their life and don't lose access to it. Right. But, but it's not the professional training stuff. I, I have students who go down that route and I'm happy mm-hmm. to work that with mm-hmm. them, but it's such a small percentage mm-hmm. that I think as educators, we should treat each student as if they are going to just be interacting musically with their family. Right. Give them the skills, the, the beautiful folk music, the hymns, the lullabies, the carols, the things they can sing with their family comfortably mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and give them the, the confidence to use their voice comfortably yes. rather than uh, putting such high standards on everything we sing mm-hmm. that has to be so polished and so over rehearsed and, and so professional all the time. Mm-hmm. Casual, comfortable singing is, is the core of it. And that starts by teaching every singer to sing in tune because that's right. the biggest fear of everyone is that they're singing That's the
0: fear. It's mm-hmm. the fear. Right. And and you're sounding a lot like Kodai here, Topher. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've, I've
1: <pulled> a <laughs> From lot from, from uh, Zoltan. Um, and so I, I did uh, four years of, of Kodai training through the New England Conservatory and uh, served on the, the board um, both at the state and the national level. And so the, the core of Kodai, Kodai is a very interesting um, uh, philosophy to go into as mm-hmm. a music educator. The core that really resonated with me is that it is uh, based on folk music. Mm-hmm. It is uh, music for everyone. And the right. idea, uh, one of Kodai's quotes that stuck most positively for me was that the music education of the child starts... Nine months before the birth of the mother. Yes. So when the, when the mother is in the womb, that is when you are beginning the music education of exactly. future children. Exactly. Because that musical exposure as children is the foundation we use to build all musical skill. Right. So singing with our children, singing to our children, responding with our children, and having lots of music in the household is the best thing you can do to build up that musical skill for a child. You know, we can get into the technical details of what the curriculum look like, looks like and what sort of songs to pick and what sort of intervals are better, and all of that stuff is valid. But at the end of the Day musical interaction with the child is the core, especially yes. at those young ages. I mean, right. when you're talking before five, six, seven, eight years old, right. it's mostly just singing at your child mm-hmm. and getting them to sing along with you, mm-hmm. um, and also just responding to them and and giving them the sense of. Um, self-evaluation so there's there's something that i don't hear a lot of people talk about but it's it's the response to babbling uh, that i really focus on right and and identical response to babbling so when your baby goes Uh, you go uh, in the same pitch range the same timbre the same tone so they can get used to hearing their sounds reflected back at them right
0: how else and, and I know mm-hmm. you've been talking about just singing at your child but mm-hmm. how about parents who don't feel like they have the tools they mm-hmm. don't feel mm-hmm. like they have the how do I interact with my child musically because Definitely. you and I will both agree and mm-hmm. I we may talk about this a little later <laughs> that teaching an infant or toddler to sing in tune mm-hmm. is far easier than teaching a teenager to sing in tune yes. so let's talk about this infant toddler yes. relationship So
1: I yeah and, and I would I would extrapolate I'm sorry I would expand on uh, on that idea a little bit and just say that most people learn to sing in tune as children. What what I, uh, the foundation of it for me with children and with adults um, as they go through adolescence is to start from their sounds, because that yes. is the easier thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, the idea was cut it in half. And this the idea was when your student can't do something that you want them to do, mm-hmm. the gap between what they can do, what you know they know, mm-hmm. and what you want them to do, what you want them to know, that gap is too big. Mm-hmm. So cut that gap in half. Yeah. So if I'm saying, here's my note, uh, match my note, that may be, yeah uh. <laughs> there we go. It may be too big of a gap mm-hmm. for that for that student, um, mm-hmm. and so it's easier for them to just produce a note on their own, and then I for, to, sure. for me to match their note right. and, and and get that feeling. So that that's where I would start with uh, young children. Like I said, it's you know infants, toddlers, pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really all about sing at them. Even if you're singing a little bit out of tune, if you're not confident in your voice, just the the fact that sound is coming out of your mouth toward mm-hmm. them and in their and ear. that you're
0: intentionally mimicking their sound. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. that's
1: huge. And so so you want to mimic every sound. You hear from them mm-hmm. and then you want to sing songs, you know, it can be very, very small. Mm-hmm. Just Mary had a little lamb, mm-hmm. little lamb, little little phrases, and then play CDs and, and lots of music and right. musicals in the home and things where they're getting modeling, but it's gonna be more effective from an actual human being that they have a relationship right. with. Right. That that mimicking and imitation is really huge. So if you start mm-hmm. from there, they make a sound, you make the same sound back. Mm-hmm. Eventually you can then flip that mirror and start making sounds and trying to get them to mirror it back right. to right. you. It almost be, like a little game.
0: It would be a natural game, a sure. Natural Game mm-hmm. that
1: would evolve, and then yeah. that's the th- sort of thing that you would imagine many of our ancestors did intuitively. Intuitively, and, and, and we mm-hmm. we often sort of um, do. We're often not in, as in tune with our intuitive relationship with children <laughs> in modern.
0: In that's modern ironic, world, you know.
1: Compared <laughs> exactly um, compared to our ancestors, you know, mm-hmm. it was it was sort of natural what we do, and now we're often seeking a, a study or a research or some sort of backing and data to support it, rather than just going. Well, my instincts are telling me to interact with my child yes, this way. Yes. And all of my ancestors' instincts also told them to yes. interact with children this way.
0: Well, and I feel like. a a lot of times with parents, they don't want to interact mm-hmm. musically with their child or follow their instincts yep. Yep. because they think, "But I'm not trained. Mm-hmm. I'm not good mm-hmm. at this. I don't mm-hmm. know how to do this." Mm-hmm. So you're saying, "Follow your instincts, yes. parents." Yes,
1: go for it. Just it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're not very good mm-hmm. because you're still better than them. They're mm-hmm. they're an infant who cannot produce any tone. You're <laughs> you're, you're somewhere above right. their level. Um, but but it's not that big of a deal if your singing is not perfect as a model for your child because it's still going to be more effective than just a pre recording because they're not interacting with it. It's an object, you know. If it's a CD, if if it's a movie, if it's an iPad, it's an object to them. It's not a human being. It's not right. it doesn't have agency. It doesn't yes. have spirit. It doesn't have soul to it. When you interact with them, especially as their parent, as someone they love and have a relationship mm-hmm. with, they're, they're retaining that a lot more strongly. Right. So it comes from the, the foundation of imitation. If you're just trying to imitate what they do and, and they're making a genuine imi- uh, a genuine effort to imitate what you're doing, animal sounds are a really great way to start with that. You know, right. you read, read a book, you know, read read a story mm-hmm. of uh, old McDonald had a farm and uh-huh. just how the cow goes moo. Right. Moo and now my voice is moving up and down. Mm-hmm. It's moving mm-hmm. up and down. And that and then the sheep goes bah and now we've got a lower pitch in there and the cat goes meow, meow. And exactly. now we've got a higher pitch in there. And even if it's not perfect, if it's not exactly the same pitch, the effort at imitation is building that skill for them.
0: Well, and again, this is so intuitive. Mm-hmm. Parents just need to it trust. Uh, parents want to make animal sounds yes. with their children. Yes, and and honestly, it did come from our mm-hmm. prehistoric ancestors. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> this exactly. is just so intuitive. Yes,
1: it is. It's natural, and so just trust your instincts to interact with the child. You know, we, we all know. So, so, baby talk is a good example of that. You know, there, there's yeah. there's a new uh, thing in the last you know couple of decades of, of people saying you know we, we shouldn't talk and baby talk to children because you you're I modeling, have heard that in, you're modeling incorrect grammar. And I've you heard use that adult language with them mm-hmm. all the time, and that mm-hmm. way. They learn adult language. More or less, every parent feels a natural urge to speak like this when they're talking to their little baby. Absolutely. And, and when they're talking to, you know, even even a kitten or a puppy, you know, we use mm-hmm. that that simplified tone. And the first thing that tone does is it demonstrates um, genuine interest and, mm-hmm. and compassion and mm-hmm. goodwill yes. toward them. Um, right. So we've all seen this, these sort of videos on YouTube with dogs where you say, Who's a terrible little jerk? I hate you so much. And, <laughs> right. and the dog's wagging his tail right. and smiling. So happy. And, and you, you mm-hmm. say, I love you. You're a perfect little dog. And then yes. they run away way scared sure. because they hear the tone. They don't right. hear the words. Mm-hmm. And that's true for the children as well. Right. As an infant, when you're pre-verbal, you're not hearing words, you're mm-hmm. hearing tone. Mm-hmm. And so that 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 little baby talk that says, oh, you're such a cute little boy, that tells them that it's a positive interaction with right. this adult and that adult loves sure. them genuinely. Mm-hmm. But it's also higher in pitch, which puts it is. more comfortably in their range uh-huh. to imitate. It's much more melodious. Uh-huh. Baby talk moves all the way around. It goes up and right. down and it moves all around. It's not just about the, um, the infantilization Mm -hmm. of the vowels and of the Mm -hmm. sound of the words Mm -hmm. and of the grammar. It's also about that pitch motion and that light, floaty head voice that gets in there. It's not an aggressive chest tone. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a sound that the babies can mimic and model more effectively. It Mm -hmm. it models what their babbling is. It imitates their kind of sound.
0: Okay, so when when we're imitating our infants or toddlers, Mm -hmm. are there certain um, melodies or Tunes that we should maybe navigate more toward.
1: Yeah, so there's um, certainly a large body of repertoire of children's music. Sure. Obviously. <laughs> sure.
0: Um, so good what old would, folk songs. What I
1: would encourage is to start from what you know. Um, mm-hmm. so, so Kodai has this phrase, the musical mother tongue of the child. Right. And the the idea is that you start from the musical heritage that the family knows and yes. the children would have been exposed to on their own. Mm-hmm. So I I would say you know that musical mother tongue is is very complicated in the modern world because um, what it used to be you know you go back several several decades or or a hundred years ago, um, different cultures and different societies had their sort of body of repertoire yes. and everybody in that culture knew that music. Right. And especially in modern American culture, there's so much variety that there, there's not sort of a core body of mm-hmm. songs that everyone knows. We are a melting pot. We are a melting pot. Mm-hmm. So what, what I would say is to go for the parent and for the, the teacher and for, for the grandparents, for the family, to look at what songs you know mm-hmm. and just start from there. Mm-hmm. And even if there are better songs that musically would have elements in them that, that, that lend themselves better to children learning to sing in tune and learning musical skills, mm-hmm. I would say the best thing is to start from what you know. Don't go and try to learn a hundred new songs no. right at the start. Right. Although, okay. you know, pregnancy is a good time to start learning some songs. I have this <laughs> I have this running joke because I love dad jokes and puns. Uh-huh. Um, that's I take them a little bit farther than most people. Uh, <laughs> apparently not everyone finds them funny. I like to smother people with, with those dad jokes. Um, but anyway, I, I have this running joke that you know my my cause I I've loved dad jokes since I was a teenager. And um, my, my running joke was, you know, I have a three-step process. And the mm-hmm. three-step process is first learn all the dad jokes. Second find a wife third have a baby and, and it seems like it's out of order it you does think you need you need the dad jokes once you're a dad but actually once you have a wife and she's pregnant and you have a baby you have no time to be learning dad jokes you got to learn these ahead of, if you want to you need know your them, repertoire you got to be ready you got to have the <laughs> repertoire ready to go so that that's where i'm encouraging parents to not try and learn a whole bunch of new songs and mm-hmm. as you're also trying to mm-hmm. be an effective parent mm-hmm. it's just not a great use of your time to dive in and try to get a hundred new songs right. a few new individual songs certainly but but take the songs that you already know mm-hmm. and if that's popular okay. music if that's if that's Broadway music, if, it, if it's pop rock, church, you know, all, church uh-huh. you know, hymn tunes. Um, ideally, it would be lullabies. You know, what mm-hmm. lullabies were sung to you as a child? Right. But not everybody has that, unfortunately. Uh-huh. We, we live in a world where not everybody has, you know, those children-appropriate songs mm-hmm. in their repertoire. So it's okay to start from Michael Jackson. It's okay mm-hmm. to start from Aerosmith. It's, uh-huh. okay, it's okay to start from Bob Dylan. You know, hey, done. You know it's not the, most ideal, lullaby. not the most ideal vocal model, but it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and start okay. where you are. Don't make it too complicated okay. at the start. But if you have the time, And if you have some interest, um, it would certainly benefit to go into the children's folk repertoire, Mm -hmm. particularly things that are pentatonic. And Mm -hmm. that's a a complicated word if you're not familiar with it. But what pentatonic means is a scale that doesn't have half steps in Mm -hmm. it. So if I sing a Solfege scale... Mm -hmm. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's that ti, do that's very close. It's only a half step. And do, re, mi, fa, mi, fa, half step. Those little intervals mm-hmm. are much harder for young ears to hear effectively right. and to and sing And old ears, too. And for older <laughs> ears, too. It's true. Uh-huh. Um, the half steps are the most complicated part. Mm-hmm. So a, a pentatonic scale takes out those notes mm-hmm. to make it easier to sing. Mm-hmm. Do, re, mi, sol, la, so mi, re do mm-hmm. no fa no t and that mm-hmm. uh, takes out the tritone between right. Fa and t if you don't know what that means don't worry about it it's just a complicated um, I- um harder, to harder to sing that's harder to sing exactly and so what, what it makes it is that so that all of those notes are relatively easy to sing for the child and they all sound right. good when sung together yes which is a nice element of it too right that you can just improvise within that mm-hmm. structure and mm-hmm. i know that let's play goes into that improvisation right um, element as well that's that's mm-hmm. also common in kodai and orf training as well as improvisation within a pentatonic scale right um and, and the the start of that is the so-me interval. So-me, so-me. The descending minor third. And what's very interesting about that interval um you can actually go very deep into this there's a great talk that uh, leonard bernstein did um years ago that's available on youtube where he Mm -hmm. goes into how the descending minor third appears in nearly all cultures and is universal Mm -hmm. um what's but you can observe this from your own life experience if you are um say you are standing on your porch at night and Mm -hmm. and the street lamps have just gone off and it's time for dinner and you call to your child you might say billy time for dinner so me, so me. It's, a, it's a rough, A rough minor uh-huh. third shows it's up there. when we right. call naturally. Mm-hmm. And when children are playing with each other and then maybe one falls down or one is teasing another one and they go, Nana, Nana, boo, boo, so me, so me, minor third. There it they, is again. It, it, it shows up naturally mm-hmm. because it is one of, if not the easiest things to sing. It mm-hmm. shows up naturally in the voice. It's a small range, so it works well, but it's not so small, like those half steps, that it's difficult right. to sing in tune. Right. So most children's music will start from mm-hmm. that so me descending, mm-hmm. descending third. The kodai sequence starts there and then right. adds in the la above. Mm-hmm. So me, so me, so so me, la so me. There it rain, is. Rain, go away, come again another day, mm-hmm. whatever the song is. And then slowly expands out to that pentatonic scale, which again is do, re, mi so, la, so. Mi do right everybody has the, these basic songs that they can get exposed to mary had a little lamb i'm a mm-hmm. little teapot mm-hmm. you know even something like happy birthday is a little mm-hmm. bit more rangy it has mm-hmm. a little bit more of those trickier intervals in it but it, because kids are hearing it all the time it becomes an effective part of their repertoire right it's that repetition and that ability to hear it out in the world and sing it with their friends you know so so i would say to start from the songs that you know as uh-huh. a parent as a teacher uh-huh. as a grandparent and the songs that, that your children's friends are likely to know as well so right. things like happy birthday things, things that things they like will hear Things, exactly. Things like Mary Had a Little Lamb, things like Baba Black Sheep, mm-hmm. things like, like uh, Three, Three Blind Mice. Or, or right. if your culture has different uh, songs that are, that are inherent to it, then, mm-hmm. then expose them to the songs that you know mm-hmm. and that your peers would know so that they can sing game, song games with their friends right. so they can hear those songs in, in, in videos that they're watching or, or hear them in class when they're going to music, uh, go, going to music classes at school. You know, the, these uh, core folk songs are really the foundation. And if you're looking for that, you know, the musical terms to look for are pentatonic and... Uh, and right. like we said the descending minor third mm-hmm. is the best interval to start mm-hmm. from just so me so me na na boo boo you can catch me mm-hmm. hey billy come for dinner you know the the calling interval you, you'll feel it naturally in your voice and children will generally manifest it on their own right um, you, you'll see them sort of babble it most of our uh, most children will naturally sort of sing songs on their own uh-huh just, sure. just exploratory just sing them to themselves when, uh, uh-huh. i remember once i was with a I was, I was with a, a small child, and um, it, was, it was a brother of a, a friend of mine who, who just was sitting in a car and looking out the window and going, trees, 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 oh. trees, 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 oh, trees, 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 It's a beautiful song. Yeah, wonderful song. What a beautiful song. And so much minor third in there naturally right. because the it's songs you'd heard were, were, were so much full of that, that kind of music.
0: My brother's famous song was cow, 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 cow. <laughs> That it was, was very, a masterpiece. It was very
1: moving. <laughs> very I apologize if that was cheesy.
0: <laughs> well, your dad jokes are coming up. Yes, they, I are, like they are.
1: They are legendary.
0: <laughs> I like those. <laughs> All right. Uh, I love how in so many things that we've said today, there's mm-hmm. been a lot about mimicking and mm-hmm. connection. And, you know, even in the, the so-me, answer back, calling back, mm-hmm. it's been something that was already in the person. Yes. Something that was already there. And when it manifests we uh, identify it and then we mimic it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really an important element. And I think you've even said this before, It is wonderful that we actually call that being in tune because when someone mimics you, you feel that this person is in tune with me. Mm -hmm. This person is feeling what I feel and this person understands me. Mm -hmm. And there's a natural connection that happens when we talk about whether we're saying singing in tune, which is technical and musical or being in tune, which is human and connective. Such great information and such a great experience to be here with Topher. I love your passion. I love your expertise. I love your humanness. And I have loved getting in tune with you today, Topher. Thank you
1: very much, Shelley. It's been great getting in tune with you as well.
0: It's been so fun. We hope you'll tune in to our next episode. Bye-bye.